Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Calvary, wherever you might be joining us from, uh, in our chapel, out at our Minnetonka campus, or online. Happy 4th of July weekend as well. It's truly a privilege to have the freedom to worship with each other this morning. You know, our mission here at Calvary is to invite people into a growing relationship with Jesus. And every week, uh, we want to give you the opportunity to invest in that mission. Uh, So if you have brought a gift uh, that you want to give today, there's a couple of ways uh, that you can uh, give that. You can drop it off outside the doors as you leave the service in the wooden boxes, or you can go online to calvary.org slash give. We're continuing our series this morning on the fruit of the Spirit. You know, so far we've talked about love, joy, peace, and patience And this morning, we are going to talk about kindness. A while back, uh, I decided to make some cookies uh, at home. And now, my wife and I have worked really hard in the past to actually perfect the recipe for chocolate chip cookies. But I didn't know where this recipe was. I just wanted to make a quick, small batch. So I just found this random recipe online. And I didn't know that it was true, but it is possible to make bad chocolate chip cookies. And these were those. They were terrible. So bad that I ended up throwing them in the garbage. Not going to lie. Because the, the truth is, whether we're cooking or baking, the end result is ultimately the sum of its parts. If the ingredients aren't balanced properly, or if we leave some out, we're not going to get the desired result. And the same is true for kindness. So if we were to make a list of ingredients for kindness, what would they be? You know, maybe it would be being polite, being civil or courteous, maybe doing something nice for someone. But according to scripture, there are actually just two necessary ingredients for kindness. Compassion and mercy. In Ephesians chapter 4:32, it says, "Instead, be kind to each other, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, just as God through Christ has forgiven you." You see, being tender-hearted, being compassionate, and forgiving one another, being merciful are both aspects of kindness. They're the two ingredients. And if one is missing, we won't be truly producing this fruit of the Spirit. And I think this is often the case for us. We've, we've messed up the recipe for kindness. We've compensated on what God has perfected and the results aren't very good. And I know this is true for my own life. Kindness doesn't come easily for me. Now, growing up, I was always very polite. I was always respectful but I lacked compassion and mercy, and therefore I wasn't very kind. See, instead I was prideful, judgmental, and I looked down on other people. Now, unfortunately, this is the perception that a lot of people in our society today have about Christians in general, that we are more interested in being against people than for them, or that we're more inclined to point out other people's mistakes and flaws than we are to work on our own. Now, I know that our culture's perception is skewed and it's, 
not completely accurate. But I do think that we as the church, the, the capital C church, need to grow in kindness. I mean, even as we just reflect on the, the past few years with the pandemic, our economy, but especially with our political polarization, that politeness, let alone compassion, have been exchanged for rudeness and anger. Civility, let alone mercy, have been replaced with judgmentalism and a desire for people to get what they deserve. But again, here's the thing. Kindness, according to scripture, is far more than being polite. Because we can be polite on the outside and yet lack compassion on the inside. We can be civil, we can be decent towards one another in our words and our actions, but on the inside we could be heaping condemnation instead of mercy. Paul, in this letter to Galatians, that's where we've been learning about the fruits of the Spirit, he explains to us that there's this battle going on inside of each one of us. Because there's two different ways that we can live in the world. Two different ways that we can show up. But these two ways of living are at odds with one another. He writes about it in Galatians chapter 5, 13 through 14. He says, For you were called to freedom, brothers and sisters. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for self-indulgence, but through love become slaves To one another. For the whole law is summed up in a single commandment you shall love your neighbor as yourself. So, two ways of living there is self indulgence and there's love. And as Paul categorizes them, as he continues to write, self indulgence is to live according to the flesh, and love is to live according to the spirit. We read about this in verses 16 through 17. He says, live by the spirit, I say, and do not gratify the desires of the flesh. For what the flesh desires is opposed to the spirit. And what the spirit desires is opposed to the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to prevent you from doing what you want. So the flesh desires to live one way and the spirit a different way. For every fruit of the spirit, there is an opposite fruit of the flesh. Where the fruit of the spirit is ultimately an expression of love for other people, the fruit of the flesh is ultimately an expression of love for ourselves. And I can see this in my own experience when it comes to kindness. Because every time I become indignant with someone, or I feel disgust at someone's belief systems or their behavior, I'm really just feeding my own ego. You know, when I justify being unkind towards someone or even just unkind in my own thoughts, it's not an act of love. It's an act of self-indulgence. And that's why it's so critical that we get the recipe for kindness right. Because we can't afford to compromise anymore. We need both compassion and mercy so that we can truly live according to the spirit and love the people around us. And so this morning, we're going to be taking a deep look at both of these ingredients today. So let's start by looking at mercy. A few years ago, I was driving a moving truck and I was dropping off a couple pieces of furniture at my parents' house. And as I started backing up 
uh, into their driveway, my grandpa, who was riding with me, offered to hop out and give me a, a spot to help direct me. And I pridefully turned him down. And I was feeling really good about myself, you know, as I pulled back between the house and the cars that were parked in the driveway. But what I didn't realize was that the truck was actually taller than the roof line. And so, boom, the truck stopped with a jolt as I came in contact with my parents' roof. I destroyed a a big portion of their gutters, some of the shingles, and I felt terrible because I made an avoidable mistake. I knew because of that, that it was my responsibility to make it right. So I assured my parents that I was going to pay for that repair. Now, after initially agreeing, my dad later came to me and said that he wouldn't let me pay. Even though it was my fault, even though I deserved that that consequence for my actions, he said that he was going to take care of it. And that's mercy. Mercy is not getting what you deserve. Say that again. Mercy is not getting what you deserve. And so if kindness as a fruit of the Spirit doesn't give people what they deserve, then unkindness, the fruit of the flesh, condemns people to suffer what they do deserve. And this plays out every day in the context of our normal lives. If I'm rude to a waiter or waitress, it's probably because I feel justified in being that way because of their poor service. They're getting what they deserve. If I ridicule someone for their beliefs or their political opinions, again, it's probably because I believe they deserve to be looked down on. Whenever we belittle someone, whenever we make fun of them, when we're snide, when we're insulting or just plain mean, We do so because we think they deserve it. But again, as a fruit of the flesh, this isn't actually love. It's about self-indulgence. Mercy, on the other hand, is an act of love. And it does the opposite. It doesn't give people what they deserve. Mercy is not saying the unkind thought that goes through our minds. Mercy is not being passive aggressive online. Mercy is choosing to not insult or label or blame or belittle, even though we might think someone deserves it. We can all grow in kindness when we realize that kindness includes mercy. It's treating people in a way that they don't deserve. And so we need to fight against that natural fleshly impulse to treat people the way we think they deserve to be treated. So when you're online, when you see someone post something that you deeply disagree with, maybe you think that it is just morally abhorrent. Remember, kindness doesn't label, doesn't attack. It doesn't disparage that person. You know, when someone is at work, and they're annoying to be around, or they're slacking off. Kindness doesn't talk about them behind their back. It doesn't act passively, aggressively towards them in order to get them to change. You know, there's this famous verse in the Old Testament book of Micah, and it says this, 
Oh, people, the, the Lord has told you what is good, and this is what he requires of you, to do what is right, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. You'll, typically, we love mercy for ourselves and want justice for other people. But what would it look like if we loved mercy for others? If we loved extending mercy to our spouses, our children, our friends, but even to strangers, people that we only interact with online. Now it's worth saying that mercy doesn't mean that we don't make moral judgments. We don't pretend that bad choices are good or that all behaviors or attitudes are created equal. Because our society right now wants to whitewash everything. We believe that nothing is truly bad or truly good. But see, mercy doesn't pretend that someone treated you well when they mistreated you. It doesn't pretend that something is good when it's not. It's being kind, knowing that what was done is wrong. Mercy is one of the ingredients to kindness. But here's the thing, if we only have mercy, we can actually trick ourselves to act one way on the outside while harboring all sorts of bitterness and anger and unkindness on the inside. And that's why the recipe for kindness must include compassion. Psalm 78, uh, an Old Testament book, but this particular chapter, it's a reflection on the history of Israel, of God's people and their relationship with him. And it details how God's people regularly broke their covenant, their relationship with God. It talks about all the different ways that Israel sinned, that they took advantage of the vulnerable, that they repeatedly turned away from God. And as a result, they deserved punishment. But then this is what it says in Psalm 78, verse 38. But he, God, being compassionate, forgave their wrongdoing and did not destroy them. And often he restrained his anger and did not stir up all his wrath. You see, there's a link here, a connection between compassion and mercy. Compassion is the ability to truly understand what someone is going through. It's more than pity, where we just feel bad for someone. Compassion is understanding. The next verse in this Psalm, verse 39 says, he remembered that they were but flesh, a passing breeze that does not return. You see, God's compassion, his understanding is what leads to mercy. God knows us. He truly, truly understands our hearts, our experiences, why we are the way we are. He knows our pain and frustration. God knows every single evil thought and inclination that we have. God knows why we grieve. He knows why we're lonely. He understands our brokenness. God is compassionate tender-hearted, as we read in Ephesians 4. And again, for every fruit of the Spirit, there's a fruit of the flesh. If being tender-hearted, being compassionate, 
is a fruit of the spirit, then being hard-hearted is a fruit of the flesh. Which means that not understanding, not entering into the experience of other people is a lack of kindness. It's a lack of compassion. Now, I, I struggle, again, with kindness. I struggle to be compassionate. I prefer to be distant, to be uncaring, and at my worst, to be judgmental about other people and their choices, their failures, their sin. Oftentimes, when I hear about someone who's had a moral failure, or when I look at someone whose life choices are severely impacting their lives, my default is to blame, to be callous, to say, hey, well, they're getting what they deserve. It's a hard heart. It's a prideful heart. And it's an obstacle to mercy. It looks at other people's, it looks at other people's sin with superiority, with arrogance. We look at someone's choices and the consequences of their choices and we say, yes, they deserve that. Here's the thing, the more that I have come to know my own heart, my own inclinations, my own motivations, and the more that I understand God's mercy, that what he's extended to me in the sacrifice of Jesus, I'm slowly becoming more tender-hearted. 1 Corinthians, a a letter in the New Testament, uh, chapter 10 is very similar to the psalm uh, that we looked at because it documents the history of Israel and their sin and their failure to uphold their relationship with God. But rather than judgment or a call to look down on those people from the past, Paul gives this warning. 1 Corinthians 10, verse 12. So, If you think you are standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. Like I said, I'm I'm learning to become more compassionate. And so now when I encounter people that make different choices than me or think differently than me, I don't separate myself from them as quickly. I don't look down on them as much and think, well, how could they do that? How could they be that way? Instead, I'm learning to say, you know what? I'm not above that myself. Given different circumstances, different temptations, different difficulties, I know that I may very well make the same choices that they are making. I'm learning to share, to understand that I am a part of the brokenness and weakness that we all face. And that's compassion. And that leads to mercy. And I think that this is especially relevant right now. Again, with particularly the political divide that's becoming more and more transparent. Because if we ever find ourselves saying something like this, how can people lack such common sense? Or how could a good person ever think? There's an invitation there. We can either respond with a hard heart and distance ourselves, or we can have a tender heart and draw closer. Again, this doesn't make wrong things right, doesn't justify sin, but it understands in a way that doesn't elevate ourselves over other people. It means that we're not trying to make ourselves feel better by looking down on other people. 
for Paul, again, in his letter to the Galatians, as he's comparing these two different ways of living, according to the flesh or according to the spirit, he talks about this prideful attitude, this attitude that separates ourselves from other people, makes us feel superior. It's one of the fruits of the flesh. He gives this list of the fruits of the flesh in uh, Galatians 5, 19 through 21. This is what he says. When you follow the desires of your sinful nature, it's another term for the flesh, says the results are very clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, and then look at these. Quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissensions, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. Let me tell you again, as I have before, that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. Again, look at those things in the, in the, in the middle section. Quarreling, anger, division, dissensions. These stem from that prideful, hardened, uncompassionate heart. And I think if we're honest, we can recognize those fleshly desires, those impulses in ourselves where we want to condemn people. We want to label others. We want to create division and conflict to feel superior. And this should humble us. Recognizing our own capacity for sin, our own frailty, actually allows us to be understanding. This is where compassion begins. It's humility about ourselves, putting ourselves on equal ground with other people that allows us to be tender-hearted towards others' failures and weaknesses and sin. As Paul says, frankly, uh, to the Galatians in chapter six, verse three, he says, if you think you are too important to help someone, you are only fooling yourselves. You are not that important. You know, I think that we as Christians in general have a kindness deficit. We're often not very understanding about the mistakes, sin, and struggles of other people. Instead, like I said before, we're often known for distancing ourselves, for condemning others, for looking down on others. And I'm, I'm very sad, I'm very grieved for the ways that we, Christians, have contributed to the division and conflict in our society and, I mean, even in our own families. Sometimes we're pretty good at being polite. We can be nice. But again, sometimes that's just an excuse to remain distant. We can remain calm in the ways that we engage with others while simultaneously still feeling superior and regularly making justifications for why others should suffer the consequences because they deserve it. And this is where we see it again. The wrong combination of ingredients leads to a very bad batch of cookies. And the same is true with kindness. True kindness is a combination of compassion and mercy. Kindness doesn't repay evil with evil. Kindness doesn't seek to get even or to get revenge. Kindness doesn't create division 
doesn't argue or label people in order to feel better about ourselves. Kindness is compassion. It finds solidarity and common ground. Kindness understands because it's humble, knowing that we're no different than the people around us. And because kindness is compassionate, it extends mercy. It forgives. It doesn't give people what they deserve. And kindness as a fruit of the spirit, as an act of love, is what ultimately changes people. Romans chapter two, verse four says this. Don't you see how wonderfully kind, tolerant, and patient God is with you? Does this mean nothing to you? Can't you see that his kindness is intended to turn you from your sin? God's kindness is what transforms our hearts. There are two ways of living in this world. One, according to the flesh, to follow and indulge our own passions and desires, including our desire to look down on other people and to feel better about ourselves. The other, though, is to live according to the Spirit, to obey the law of Jesus, to love others, to allow the Spirit to produce in us the fruit of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And the way that we ultimately become kind, the way that we can truly become compassionate and merciful is to recognize our own need for God's compassion and mercy. We're gonna receive communion in a moment. And so those of you who are online, go ahead and find some bread or crackers, some juice, wine, whatever you have on hand. You know, my prayer is that as we share communion with one another, wherever we're at, is that we'll do so with humility. That we'll come to the table recognizing our own need for God's compassion and mercy. And so that the spirit can begin to produce in us true kindness. And so that we can extend that to those who are in our lives. As Ephesians says, let us be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God in Christ has forgiven us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the compassion you have for us, that you understand us, you know us, and you love us. God, you have extended mercy. You haven't given us what we deserve, but Jesus, you've given us what you deserve. God, and we pray that this morning as we take communion that your gift of mercy, your sacrifice would humble us and that by your spirit, you would produce kindness in our lives. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen.